Welcome to Jacqueline Explores, the podcast where we explore science, somatics, and social change. I'm your host, Jacqueline Shea. I am an embodiment coach, facilitator, researcher, and science communicator. After 10 years in public health and health tech, my own trauma healing journey brought me to somatics. In this podcast, I'll share the cutting edge science and somatic frameworks and tools that change my life and will help you feel better, move through stress, heal trauma, and live the life of your dreams. But that's not all. I'll also highlight why and how most individual issues have systemic roots and the social change work being done and needed to create a world in which we can all thrive. Let's explore. Today, I'm chatting with Dr. Albert Wong. He is the director of the Trauma Certificate Program at Somatopia. He has served as residential staff at the Esalen Institute, was the director of somatic psychology at John F. Kennedy University, and has served as core faculty at the California Institute of Integral Studies. His work is at the intersection of somatics, psychotherapy, and scalable technology. He has been featured in, on PBS, in Time Magazine, and in the book, The American Soul Rush. He maintains a private counseling and consulting practice centered around somat somatic psychotherapy, and he's the founder of the online somatic education platform, Somatopia. Welcome, Albert. Thank you Thanks, so much Kathleen. for joining me today. Oh, such a what a bio. To be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you just have such a wealth of knowledge and experience, and I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that you are certainly an expert on is, you know, the neurobiology of trauma. And many of us understand that in maybe an intuitive way based on our own experience or our loved ones. But I'm wondering if you can explain, yeah, what is the neurobiology of trauma? What happens to our minds, sure. our bodies, our nervous system? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think one of the amazing shifts that's happened in the last 10 years or so is that this understanding of what trauma is and what it does to our bodies and our brains and our nervous systems has really kind of taken hold and and it really has made a huge difference for people just to be able to oh this is happening to me oh it has an explanation it's not just like weird stuff that starts to go on because that's one of the things when people have experienced trauma they they start to experience very confusing and unusual symptoms like flashbacks or gaps in memory or you know panic attacks or all these things that but uh, there's a there's a lot of research that's been done that really helps us to understand how this all works now so so there's a lot of different models uh for the neurobiology of trauma i think you know the the, the most at the most basic level is the the nervous system activation model and the window of tolerance from Dan Siegel. So you can think of our brain basically as like an electrical circuit, like a very complex interweaving uh, neural network of electrons and electricity that just kind of goes through it. And, and just like a, a circuit can be overwhelmed if there's too much kind of flow through, right? There's a way in which our nervous system can take and absorb. It has a certain capacitance or what they call a, a window of tolerance through which, you know, we can capably uh, traverse. So if, if there's too much basic nervous system activation, right, if anything, the classic is too much, too fast, too soon, or too little, too late sometimes, right? 
there's ways in which that is trauma. So that's a basic Dan Siegel wind of tolerance, nervous system activation understanding. It's when our physiology, our nervous system just has almost too much nervous system activation going through it. So that's that's kind of just a generic shorthand, very common uh, model. Um, and then there's a little bit more sh structural understandings that have, that have taken place. And there's a, a bunch of uh, folks who have contributed here. Bessel van der Kolk probably has popularized this the most in his book, The Body Keeps the Score. But, um, you know, there, there's different parts of the brain that serve different functions. And you can think of, um, like, the shorthands are, like, Bessel van der Kolk calls these the 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 smoke detector uh the cook and the watchtower so so the smoke detector is something called the amygdala it's very kind of very linked to our emotional brain it's very almost more primitive in terms of evolutionary development and it's cued for threat right it like back in the day you needed to know if you were in danger or not right and kind of activate your system so so uh, so there's the amygdala uh, which really releases a lot of cortisol it kind of causes a real fight or flight response so it's a, it's a smoke detector um, there's there's the thalamus uh, which is part of the, basically the limbic system and that's sometimes called the cook because it absorbs all of the things that kind of come in through our nervous system everything that we see we smell we hear our interoception what we feel inside our proprioception how we're moving but it basically it's this uh, cook in the sense that it absorbs all the ingredients <laughs> that we are experiencing in the world and it mixes them all together and then it it sends those messages out into uh, either what we call the low road, which is to the amygdala, right? Uh, in which case, uh, the amygdala, if it sees it or senses threat, it acts very quickly. And then it also, the cook also uh, sends the message through what we call the high road, you know, and, and that's to the medial prefrontal cortex. And that's, the shorthand for that is the watchtower, right? So Bessel van der Kolk you know, the, the three are like the cook, the, the, the fire alarm, the smoke detector, um, and the watchtower, right? And, and so the, the, the low road goes very quickly, right? It's amygdala, kind of very fast uh, threat response. And then um, the medial prefrontal cortex gets its messages from the, the, the thalamus, and, and that's the high road, and that goes a little slower. Uh, and... And so, you you know, what the watchtower does, that's the medial prefrontal cortex. So that's more of the cerebral cortex, the the, the higher functioning uh, parts of our brain. So, so that's more geared towards assessing, is that thing that we think a threat really a threat or not? Is the fire really a fire or is it just kind of somebody smoking a cigarette, right? Uh, is, is, you know, do I really have to jump into gear or not? And it takes a little bit more time, um, but those are the things that kind of take place those are the, that's what gets activated in trauma so sometimes in trauma our smoke detector kind of is hypersensitive right like it's like 
cued to just a whiff of a little bit of like threat or smoke and it's like boom right danger danger will robinson right and and we just kind of, it just kind of explodes the system and the watchtower might be trying to calm it down but it just almost takes over um so uh you know that so, so in trauma like the, the the smoke detector is 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 hypersensitive and really cued towards um, very hair trigger uh, signs or signifiers of threat. Um, the the other thing that's at play uh, during trauma is uh, our body gets flushed with stress hormone, and there's a part of our brain that is designed to absorb experience and encode experience and then file it away right so um and during trauma that system gets messed up right uh, when there's a flood of cortisol the hippocampus which is the part of our brain which is supposed to file memories away it basically puts a little time stamp on the memory and says oh this is a memory okay this happened you know uh, new year's eve and I know what I saw and experienced and um, and I can put it away and, and say, oh, that that's a memory. And the hippocampus puts a little timestamp on it and files it away in a filing cabinet, basically. But um, during trauma, um, that filing system gets messed up because the hippocampus can't encode the memory and can't timestamp it. And so we, we have these experiences of intense nervous system activation that are a little bit crumbled, and we can't really uh, make sense out of them, and we can't place them at a certain time. So it's almost like we feel like what was happening, we don't know that it was happening then. We don't know that it was a past experience, a past memory. It feels like happening now so so um yeah the hippocampus uh needs to experience and consolidate uh the memory in order to almost put it away and make it usable rather than something that gets re-experienced like flashbacks right so so there, there, there's so many different like things that 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 happen like you know broca's area goes offline that's our ability to express ourselves uh verbally Right, so in trauma, what you'll find is that um, sometimes you can't actually verbalize; you can't get your words out, and and that's physiologically valid, right? You know, you kind of uh, so so that's another thing that happens. I mean, the the basic overarching metaphor, important metaphor, is that it the part. Our brain is designed to, if you imagine like a flow of electrical current that kind of weaves and bobs and flows freely, right, within the brain, it's almost like parts of it like um, get segmented out. They stop communicating with each other, right? It's almost like there's a, a fractionation of flow, uh, um, and, and almost like there's a circuit breaker that that trips and, and um, the neural activity has to be um, segmented somehow. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's ways in which there, all that fractionation occurs and, and people dissociate and, um, you know, can't speak. Um, so part of the healing process sometimes is to help learn to help them express themselves. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's all the, 
the parts work, right? Which is like helping people reintegrate their, you know, their different aspects of self or reconnect to their bodies if they've been disconnected from their bodies. Um, I mean, the, the, the literature is really vast. Uh, the, I mean, there's the, there's all the whole polyvagal stuff, which is very hot and hip. I, I know you you do a lot with that too. So I, I feel like I worry about, you know, being repetitive, but, um, you know, uh, there's a, uh, I mean, Stephen Porges has has really um, helped us understand basically why when we're in a traumatic circumstance, sometimes we can't fight back, right? Yeah. You know, and it, and it, there's a neurophysiological reason, right? There's it's it's called the dorsal vagal system. We kind of go into um, collapsed immobility, right? So. Um, you know, there's uh, the, the polyvagal theory is important. Um, you know, just just the headlines are, um, you know, when we're feeling uh, in a good state of being, um, in a when we're able to connect with other folks, um, we're in what we call the social engagement system. That's ventral vagal. Um, that's a nice place to hang out in. It feels kind of typically warm and soothing and good and there's a nice flow. Um, so we're in basically what we call connection mode, right? And that's typically, you know, a, a good place to be. Now, when our nervous system gets activated, um, we go into protection mode. So we shift from connect to protect. And, and that is a different uh, nervous system uh, complex. That's the the sympathetic nervous system, right? So, kind of connection is really primarily um, ventral vagal. Uh, that's uh, one nervous system complex within us, the ventral vagal system, and then and then the sympathetic is more fight or flight, and then you know uh, that we go into protection mode, and if we can't protect ourselves, then we go into uh, we basically eject. Right, so we go from connection to protection to ejection, which is basically um, dorsal vagal, sometimes called flop and drop. Right, we <laughs> our body goes limp. Um, we can't um, sometimes talk. We can't defend ourselves. We dissociate. We we faint. Um, you know, and 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 that's a hardwired neurophysiological response. Um, nothing to be ashamed of and really just that understanding of the polyvagal theory I think that you know it, it, it's really taken such hold because it explains people's behavior that they think is odd or strange or they don't understand it's like oh yeah it actually makes sense that I did that it makes sense that I always get scared and run away from connection or relationships where I always uh, or I wasn't able to defend myself or I have these rage attacks that I don't understand well maybe that's trauma and maybe there's a neurophysiological explanation for it and maybe there is a solution also right maybe the solution is decrease activation you know come back to presence return to safety and connection and and then maybe maybe you can re rediscover your your safety and your flow. So, so I I think I think it's a, a great um, 
time that we're we're in, right? Just the it's the, almost the golden age of neuropsychology and these new understandings. I, I also want to say that like the the neurophysiology is really important, and I sometimes think like psychologists, people in the the helping profession, sometimes have a little bit of like physiology envy, right? That that you know that 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 that, that part of what's healing is just the connection, the simplicity, the presence, the being. Um, and you don't need to know the fancy language just to feel like, ah, somebody's with me. I feel safe, right? I mean, there's a whole neurophysiological explanation. There's mirror neurons. There's like, we're both dropped into our ventral vagal system. We're co-regulating, like we're flowing in this kind of shared, um, collective resonant presence which is beautiful and it's two people with each other being um and being not alone together and that can be enough right so um yeah so so i'm i i i'm of two minds i mean i think the the neurophysiology is great it's good to know it's important to understand right just so you have your roadmap but don't forget the poetry, right? Don't don't forget the the poetry of being together with another human being, and and um, let that be its own thing that you drink in, right? You know, yeah. So yeah, yeah absolutely. But, I think it's um, you know, I know from my, from my own experience with this this science background, this, you know, mm. experience designing health curriculum. And, and it's mm -hmm. like my brain, I just so latched onto polyvagal theory and understanding mm. the, the science of trauma and the science of our nervous yeah. system. And because for me, I was like, oh, this explains what I've been going through. And now I don't feel broken now that I understand it. And yet you can understand the science and still struggle. Totally. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah. in a way, you know, it can be soothing to our minds and yet it doesn't actually change change the patterns. And that right. that the therapeutic relationship, whether it's with a therapist or just another, is yeah. like that's where the healing actually happens. Totally, totally. There there is a saying that one of my teachers had, which was like understanding is the booby prize right it's like okay i understand this okay <laughs> now but, I, but you have to actually experience it you have to like feel it like with yeah. another person or in your own being and body and then that's ah that's the real gold right mm -hmm. yeah, sure. yeah. yeah yeah well i'd love to zoom out because you yeah. know you're trained as a psychologist and sure. You know, I mean, I, I, I took a lot of psychology classes in undergrad, but mm -hmm. somatics was not a part of those classes. <laughs> <laughs> no, not The really. field wasn't as, as public as it is now, but yeah. I, I'm curious about your journey from more traditional um, psychology yeah. and psychotherapy to, to somatics and focusing on trauma. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I guess there's the saying in in psychology sometimes like research is me search and and I think that was some of the case for me um, I, I, I was very in my head I, I probably smarter than I from than my own for my own good right I, I was very cognitively weighted and have heavy I probably still am uh, but um, you know but it really wasn't solving the important questions of life for me like 
how should I live? What's important? What do I want? You know, what do I feel? I didn't even know how I felt. And, and so I think my journey really begins uh, with uh, confusion uh, and uh, suffering and maybe a little bit of desperation. So, so I would, you know, I, I, the world that I knew growing up was the world of science and, and, um, you know, there's a certain beauty in an elegance in math and physics. And my father was a physicist. He named me Albert, I think, because he probably wanted me to be like, like Einstein, but, you know, so it was very science, science, science. And, and, uh, it was elegant and there was an aesthetic and there was a hole in inside me that that uh, felt like it didn't touch or fill for me um, and I tried to listen to that and sort through it and I tried to understand it with my mind like what what is this confusion this hole and I couldn't I you know lists of pros and cons about what should I do or what, what you know and it just didn't really answer anything and and um, you know, eventually I, I found out about this strange place uh, on the coast of California in Big Sur called the Esalen Institute. Uh, and um, it seemed, I didn't really have a, a full explanation, but it was one of those places where when I read about it or read who had gone there, it was an illustrious set of people. Uh, some of my heroes, like Richard Feynman, who was a physicist, um, Gregory Bateson, Alan Watts, Abraham Maslow, just so, you know, Virginia Satir, a lot of people who like spoke to me at some core level. Um, it was like, okay, there is this place in California that seems a little bit wacky, <laughs> but also I feel more settled when I hear about it. And when I read about the people who go there and the spirit that it is um, immersed in, and so I bought a one-way ticket out there and um, landed at the Esalen Institute. And, um, you know, I, I, I think there was, you know, two parts hope, one part uh, desperation. And, um, you know, I, I kind of pieced together uh, my life from there. I found my own sense of somatic being and... Uh, connectedness. I had kind of been going through my own dark nights of the soul and and tried maybe some traditional methods and and some good people. I, I you know bless bless the folks who 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 helped me and, and tried to help me along the way. And there was something about um, sitting um, with a part this really strange thing of the felt sense. What is happening inside me and my body that felt like, well, that's a very peculiar practice that these people at Esalen are doing, you know, basically Esalen, everybody at Esalen, well, not everybody, but it's very ingrained within the culture to tune into your body, right? And it seemed like, well, that's a very odd thing to do. And I tried it. Um, the first time I tried, I felt really flooded with shame, like I didn't do it well. And then, then the second time I tried it, there was a lump in my throat. And um, and then I just broke down crying. And it was, it, was, it was strange and bizarre and confusing. And um, But there was something there, something important. 
and so I really dedicated um, the next stages of my life to recovering this connection with this very precious vessel that I had been entrusted with my my body, uh, but which I had really kind of disregarded or neglected for so long. And it was like a gradual process of coming home into myself, rediscovering my own voice, um, my own safety inside my own skin. Uh, and I would say, I think of Esalen as my alma mater, right? The, the, the place where I um, discovered somatics and and learned about it. Like I was lucky to have, you know, just Esalen, like there was this parade of the greats, like, you know, teachers coming through, um, you know, somatic people, and just the local people um, who were amazing. Um, so so that's where my education was, uh, primarily in terms of somatics. And then kind of going to grad school, it was like, gosh, I, I honestly had a little bit of a, okay, now I know the real stuff, right? The, the somatics. And I'm going to go to grad school. And what are they going to teach me? Like, I've been to Mecca, right? I've been to the, the promised land of Esalen. I've seen what actually works. And, you know... Uh, I was going to go to, you know, a PhD program at the University of Tennessee. I'm, I'm from Tennessee, um, and um, and the people there are just going to be these CBT uh, kind of people. They're probably going to want to put me into a, an experimental cage like a lab rat and just like kind of feed me little nuggets of bread on my way to through grad school. And I, I'll, I'll just say. Um, they might not have called it somatics, um, or they might not have said that they were talking about emotions, or they might not have said that they were talking about resonance. But, you know, even the people who were the most like, I'm a behavioral activation person, I just think behavior is what we need to do and focus on. Like when you actually saw them like do the work, um, there was resonance, there was attunement, there was kind of co-regulation, kind of almost attuned breathing, right? They were doing it, but maybe even not knowing that they were doing it or not naming it as kind of a, a crucial element in the process, right? So so um, I think there was a way in which this superiority complex that I had about somatics as the one and only truth um, became more inclusive right like there there's good people doing important stuff and they may they maybe it's called by different names um but um it it comes from the same river right people are trying and, and caring and and so um you know and 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 I'll, i will say that you know mindfulness at, you know when i was in grad school had started to take um the academia by storm it's like from being like this kind of fringe, like, oh, people are doing transcendental meditation and like joining some strange cults, right? It's like, oh, no, kind of best of breed um, clinical psychotherapies were all what they call third wave uh, CBT was all just mindfulness based. DBT, um, you know, ACT, uh, you know, uh, you know, cognitive based mindfulness, you know, mindfulness-based stress reduction, all of these things were like taking the world by storm. So, so, and, and I think 
kind of the body, you know, there's there's mindfulness and then there's also bodyfulness, right? So, you know, sometimes when we think of mindfulness, just like awareness practice, but it's actually really kind of, if you do like, you know, real breathing, noticing sensation, it's very, you know, it's very body centric, right? I think there's a, there's been a, a little bit of a, a body phobia, um, I think, within academia. It's like, oh, body, like we're, we've got our, you know, fancy, fancy, you know, like thinking people, you know, we're not, we're not like body, we, we but, but, but I think it, it kind of like snuck in through the back door a little bit at any rate. So, so there's, there's good people go, doing good stuff. It's, it's not necessarily called um, somatics, but you know, um, the leading uh, couples there, I mean, like, I would say, in my opinion, almost all of the uh, leading uh, technologies nowadays incorporate some sense of affect or feeling in them, even if they don't name it, right? Uh, you know, Gestalt, right? If the, the leading brand of couples therapy now is something called emotion-focused therapy, which is basically rebranded, in my opinion, rebranded Gestalt. You know, Les Greenberg, who was one of the co-founders of EFT, uh, is is a former Gestaltist, and you know, uh, so so sometimes. Um, things are renamed, um, rebranded, um, but they 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 fall uh, from the same river. Um, you know, I I think you know I I was at after University of Tennessee. I I came to the Bay Area, and um, you know it was, it was funny. Like a, this super psychoanalytic um, training director and Olive Volovich. Anyways, I discovered right after you know. Uh, you know, uh, she was a, a force of nature, but um, after she passed away, there was a circle of us um, who gathered. She was a, a, an amazing uh, clinician and, and supervisor, but we discovered, or I discovered, that she had actually been to Esalen and had been a massage therapist, which was like, what? Are you serious? Right? So no wonder, because she spoke in such an embodied way. Kind of her interpretations were just packed such a, a felt punch. So, So I think there are kind of um like the rebellion is alive and well <laughs> within the field of of academia and maybe it's not as uh socially um uh you, you don't get as much street cred if you're doing like somatic work at least within academia you get a lot more street cred you know just in the general clinical world but um you know i i think there's a lot of people who believe in it, um, even if they don't um, shout it from the rooftops. And then, the, and then I think somatic programs. There's more and more and more of them. Like it used to be, you know, the only places you could go were, you know, CIAS, JFK, uh, maybe Naropa. Yeah, Naropa. And 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 there's like a proliferation of places, and places are starting just to incorporate somatics into their training. You know, it's it's become. Uh, instead of just fringe, it's become much more leading edge type stuff. So, so, you know, and, and especially with trauma, that's, that's where it's at, right? That's, that's where the conversation is happening. Like if you talk to anybody on the street, <laughs> right. And, and nobody who is a client is looking for prolonged exposure 
which <laughs> as a clinical intervention, it's like, please, is anybody practice prolonged exposure, which is supposedly the best of breed, according to APA evidence-based treatments, like nobody, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> right? Like expose, like, how did I get my trauma in the first place? Right? You know, the reason those trials are so, so high is because like the dropout rate, it's just so, mm. you know, it's like the only people who survived were the people who <laughs> kind of uh, didn't get traumatized. Anyways, the, so, 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 um, but yeah, like, if you look at the leading, like, uh, what the, what the people want right yeah. it's, it's like emdr brain spotting somatic work right some variation and th those are all like things that use physiology in the body and regulation and you know so mm -hmm. it's uh it's uh, you know you can call it what you want but uh you know i think you can't leave out the body and i i think the body acknowledging it um is is important and and it you know it's it's what in my opinion really has a more lasting impact you know it's like things that have traction it's like you soak it into yourself into your whole being not just trying to cancel cancel your way out of a, a negative thought yeah so yeah. yeah just try to change those beliefs without changing the real yeah. um, nervous system response behind those beliefs exactly exactly yeah. right 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 yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. Well, you've touched on this in a few ways, but really that mm -hmm. it's that connection, it's that resonance. Yeah. Um so can you talk more about this this idea of embodied connection and that like sure. I mean even I don't know if folks even know what the the concept of resonance is or attunement. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um well, you know, like like many things, um I think the concept of resonance is well, it, if you think of it like in terms of physics, like if you take a, a tuning fork, right, and it's tuned to one note over here and another tuning fork over here and you hit one tuning fork, the other tuning fork will start to kind of resonate even if they're not touching, right? And, and so it's the idea that it will start to vibrate at the same frequency um, just by the presence of another thing that is at that frequency, right? And you can sometimes see this with people, right? They're at your wavelength, <laughs> right? They're at your vibration, like your vibrations sync up. And you can really feel it sometimes, even without words. It's like, ah, you're here. You're vi I'm vibrating at a certain kind of emotional space, and you're tuning fork can feel that and it can start to vibrate too right and so there's this whole thing of like starting to attune and feel and connect um, and resonate and it's one of the most nourishing things that can happen because like as kids what 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 we need is um, a caregiver who has at least some measure of attunement with us who's who's present at least part of the time and can resonate with us and so we can feel like we're not alone that they're with us and especially when we're in our own states of nervous system activation where it's like it's oh this is spilling over this is too much they can attune with us and help us feel um, that experience and hold that note together right hold that experience right so so um, the idea of embodied connection is what does it mean when somebody is with me is resonating with me and feeling 
with me. Right? It's like it's like I feel seen, I feel heard, I I feel felt, right? And and this experience of okay, I'm with somebody who is feeling what's in inside me. I can actually feel that they can feel me. It's like oh, what a beautiful experience, and I feel connected with you, and I feel connected not just as an idea, but in my whole body and being, and it's such a, a sweet thing and such a healing thing uh, to know that I can be not alone, I can be seen, I can be connected with, maybe even loved or protected or held, right? So, so it's, it's one of the most nourishing things. It's also one of these things that's also can be quite terrifying for people. Right, you know, especially if your experience with early caregivers or attachment figures has been complex or mixed, sometimes we start to get scared when we begin to feel a little bit of connection. It's like, oh, this is actually nice, but I know that when it's been felt nice before, the shoe has dropped. Right, something has happened, and and so. Um, you know, I, I think we all long for that deep connection, that feeling of resonance and being, and and it's also really, really scary sometimes, especially if we've had some kind of attachment breach or relational trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And you know, it's it's so interesting because our nervous systems really do anchor to other nervous systems and there's this concept that like you are the average of the of the five nervous systems you spend the most time with yeah and so what can happen is like if if you're anxious you you seek other anxious people because that's it that's your resonance that feels Mm -hmm. familiar and you guys can all you know you might not feel good but like it feels the same yeah um and i have so many clients who you know, our work is so healing because they realize they're like, oh, as a kid, I would feel intensely. And my parents, they were having their own dysregulation. Uh, they were maybe out of their own window of tolerance. So right. my dysregulation as the kid would swing them out of even more dysregulated. Yeah. And then I had to learn to squash down my feelings. Oh, yeah. I had to learn to like, you know, not reach out for help or, you know, whatever the whole cascade of possibilities disassociate. And... So that's like, yeah, that's one kind of experience of not being met with resonance or kind of a nervous system that it has the ability to like hold your experience right. and and why it is so healing to be able to like be struggling and have someone be like, I can hold you in your experience. I can feel you and I can help you shift a little bit more into this into this ventral vagal regulated state. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a corrective relational experience. It's like giving yeah. you and your body what you so longed for or needed. It's like somebody who could actually hold you or contain you or be with you as you were in your activated, dysregulated state. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. You don't have to be alone. And yeah, I mean, I, I think the story that you share is, is really common, right? You know, your clients, people, you know, long to be seen, known, held, protected, right? And sometimes that's not present, that's absent, right? And they, they really need that. And and having a, a, a reparative 
um, intimate relationships, sometimes a reparative therapeutic relationship, coaching relationship, all of these things like can be vital and transformative and, and really help a person person's body at the felt level realize, okay, maybe I can be safe or maybe I can be seen, heard. You know, maybe my anxiety isn't too much. Maybe I don't have to be alone with it. Maybe there can be somebody I can go to to hold it with me and ah, you know, maybe maybe we can be okay, you know, even if yeah, even if it's not easy, maybe we can be okay. You know, there, there's some interesting studies. I think it I think it's James Cohen, uh, Cohen. Um, just like studies where like if you're walking up a hill, um, if you're walking with somebody, it seems less steep, right? So it's just like, oh, actually, okay, that's an interesting. Or um, they did an fMRI where, you know, they put somebody in it and they told them, okay, in about sometime in the next minute, I'm going to prick your foot with a pin, right? And, you know, their, their, their brain, it's a pin, so it's not, but their brain lit up like with fear and anxiety. And what they did, you know, with the other group um, uh, was they did the same thing in about a minute. I'm going to prick your foot with a pin, but they let them hold uh, a partner's hand, right? And their brain, right, just was far more regulated, right? Just because, okay, somebody is with me. Something's going to happen. Same thing maybe is going to happen, but it's it's actually I'm, I'm not alone with it. And wow, what a difference that makes. Yeah. Mm. It's a really powerful example. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. We, we're resonating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's happening right now. We're like the, the, the two, two nervous systems vibrating and creating that. Uh, we're together. We're in this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm curious if you have any tangible kind of the how to of how mm. to hold that space for someone. Let's say someone has a close friend or roommate or mm. partner and they come home and they're super dysregulated and it it is very easy to be like, oh, and then that, that could ping, you know, mm -hmm. kind of pinball you into dysregulation. But like, and yeah. it's, it's valid that we, we can't always hold space for someone. But like, what are the yeah. ways that we can try to really meet someone and hold them and yeah. yeah, create that resonance. Yeah. Good question. So, so yeah. So a lot of people talk about like, okay, what can I do right in order mm -hmm. to help? And, and I think that's a really good question. And the, what I would say first is, um, your body, your own body, is an intervention, right? Like sometimes we think, okay, I should tell them this or I should reflect for them or, or, but as an intervention. And actually the first intervention is how you show up in your body and being, right? So, so I think the first thing would be just, okay, notice how as they come towards you or, you know, um, how are you doing? <laughs> Do you, how's your breath? Right? Uh, are you starting to feel lightheaded or tight or is it too much for you? Because if it is, 
that's just something that they'll likely pick up on, right? Kind of subliminally, uh, just they'll feel that. So, so what I would invite is, you know, feel your own feet on the ground, feel the support behind you, feel uh, the chair underneath you, notice your breath as you're with them, and feel your own enoughness, right? Feel the support around you. And, uh, yeah, and notice where in you starts to feel tight or scared or unsafe, right? And give yourself a little space or kindness or breath right there, yeah. So, so I think the first thing would be, yeah, just letting yourself feel yourself and notice your body, your breath, what feels tight inside and, you know, put on your own oxygen mask first, right? Just allow yourself to, to ground and be present, okay? Um, yeah, you know, uh, when I was training uh, at the Esalen Institute in Gestalt, we did uh, a lot of work where, I mean, the first month of practice, all we did was we practiced um, breathing with the other person. We didn't say anything. We just like let them speak. And and all we would do was like tune our breath. And that's, it's an interesting practice because at first there can be a little bit of effort that goes with it, right? But that's not the idea. The idea is to almost maybe, you know, just do it with soft eyes or, you know, soft intention. And then it just kind of starts to naturally happen. Like people, people's breaths start to sync up or you, you start to notice things when they stop breathing. And okay, like you can feel that. So, so just starting to maybe tune your breath. Um, you know, uh, there, I mean, there's, there's a lot of practical things. Uh, um, you know, I, I think, you know, if they're in an activated state, um, just conceptually, you know, you'd think, okay, well, from our little polyvagal talk there, they might, maybe they're in fight or flight, you know, so what they might need is like to be down-regulated into connection. Um, if you know them, just helping them uh, be, not to discount where they're at, but just allow that, but also bring to awareness like things that are supportive or safe for them. You know, there's a, um, I mean, so, so if it is somebody that you know, or if it's somebody that you've been working with, um, hopefully you've come up with some things that are, safety signals for them like resources is what we call them in in the, the the trauma world but basically you know things that help them feel safe secure seen held known protected and um gently uh start to notice where they're at and and help them you know also notice the possibility of support around them right or like if they're activated and if they're in a flashback, right? Sometimes it's a visual flashback. Sometimes it's an emotional flashback. They're just triggered and they don't know why, but they're activated. Like, um, so, so sometimes just helping them, um, yeah, even though you're, they're feeling that just notice that they're maybe here with you and that 
you know, you're safe and that they're, that was then and this is now and in this moment that they're safe, right? That in this moment there's no threat of physical harm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes, like there's, I mean, different people have different responses. So, you know, it's very sometimes idiosyncratic. Like you could say, oh, just do a, a, a voo sound, which is a classic thing, right? But, you know, um, I, I I think sometimes it's good to tailor, tailor, like sometimes voo is not the right sound, <laughs> right? Like voo, you know, sometimes it's, uh, uh, that feels better, right? So you can help work with them to find their sound that like feels good in their body. Sometimes like there's, okay, I feel anxiety in my chest. Okay. What's a chest sound? Uh, oh yeah. That's just like, uh, and you can just have them play around with it. Like what feels good, right? Uh, oh, oh, oh yeah. That's that, that, that hits the spot. Oh, oh, I don't know. This, this is a, a random association. Uh, <laughs> uh, I once was on teaching faculty and there was, there was a fellow who um, was away from his beloved and um, he would make a joke, but just, he would, he would just say, well, you just make that sound. And I'll just hold the phone right here. Right. And I, and I all feel you. Right. And it was uh, really sweet. Right. It was kind of funny, but kind of sweet. Right. You can feel the sound, right. And there's certain sounds that are, Sometimes at ecstatic dance or wherever, like when I go to these things, I just stand next to the, to the speakers and just let the vibration feel. So, you know, just letting, letting people find what fits for them, I think is really important. I think there's a lot of, like there's a prescriptiveness and I think there's a lot more nuance in, it's not one size fits all, right? Even the classic come back to the present like, what do you see in the room? Like, if the room is what's activating, it's like, oh, that's not the right intervention to make, right? You know, so 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 some of it's like, okay, what is the flavor of what's activating them? What is the flavor of what's safe for them? And almost like go back and forth. It's, you know, it's called dual awareness or oscillation or pendulation. There's fancy words people in the field sometimes like to invent, but it's basically... What is activating? Ah, that's activating. What is safe? Ah, and can I go back and forth between, okay, here's activation. Ah, yeah, got that. Here's safety. Ah, got that. So, um, you know, and there, there's lots of different kinds of safety signals. Um, I, I think um, there's something called seeking safety, which is a very well-respected protocol. It's not typically thought of as somatic, but it's basically, I mean, there's a lot of somatic stuff on there. It's like, um, feel a, a stone and feel the texture of it, like in your hand, right? Just as a grounding thing, right? Okay. Take a pebble or take a little rock and just feel it in your hand. That's a great intervention for a, a number of things. Like if somebody's really anxious, you want them not to pay attention to the, 
the main line of their body because that's where a lot of the anxiety is like you know if somebody's having a panic attack it's like well where do you feel that in your body ah, that actually kind of reactivates it i feel my chest pounding ah, now i feel even more scared because like i must be having a heart okay so you want to kind of pull the attention away from the midline more towards the extremities you know hold a rock like feel the ground or look outside or look towards something that's soothing it takes attention away from the somatics right you know but if somebody right is having a different kind of uh you know thing that's happening maybe it's like a visual uh flashback or you know who knows right maybe maybe kind of tuning into the body could be good right so it, it really depends on 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 what's safe for them so you, you need to know who your friend is what what they're working with what their safety signals slash resources are um, that's really important to to get to before you dive into like the trauma work. You, you need to find your um, little oases of support before you go behind enemy lines. You need to have your your um, checkpoints and safety points, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's really yeah. beautiful. And, you know, you basically described my theory of change behind my group yeah. program, Body Language Lab, which is right. I will teach you these concepts and I will teach you different practices cool. for different states, but you learn what works for your body. And I can't tell you that orienting is always good for this situation. I want you to experiment and to try yeah. and to kind of walk away being like, okay, I, I now have a bunch of tools. And I rough, hopefully I know what works for me in different situations, which might be different than what works for this other person. Yeah. And, you know, it's like there is no one size fits all. And I mean, gosh, wouldn't that be great? Of course, of course, we yearn for that. And, <laughs> right. you know, many of us have probably bought programs that promise that. Yeah. And then we're left frustrated. But um, sure. it really is. Um, well, and just also name you know, my work is is often on building the individual's capacity to self-regulate, mm -hmm. but self-regulation is not enough. And we need that co-regulation of, of that togetherness right. and and of really just just that that space holding and that resonance and the like, I can fall apart and and I can still be here with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. we, we, you know, if you want to travel fast, travel alone. But if you want to travel far, travel together, right? It's 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 yeah. hard to do this work alone, right? It, like you need relationship, right? Some kind of connectedness. So, yeah, and, and how great, you know, I think that sounds like a great thing that you're doing with the body language, you know, lab, right? Just kind of teaching people like a, a, an array of tools that they can use and learn and then find what matches for their nervous system because the language of their body, right, might sing to a, a, a different tune, right? Like different people like different yeah. music, right? Like it's mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, you know, different bodies want and are nourished by different things. So that's great. Yeah. 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 And your example of that vu sound can can really help kind of let the energy dissipate. But yeah, what is the actual what's the what's the the sound that your body wants to make in that moment? And right. you know, you can't just follow a script. It's like, what does this feel like? How do I 
how do I let this be expressed, which mm. is different than communicate, but it's like the innate experience wanting to be expressed. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm. And I think that kind of almost circles back to like the broker's area kind of things. Like how do yeah. I, if if I've been stuck or stopped in my expression, if that part of my nervous system has been like shut down, how do I re-allow that? Right. In whatever shape or form, not according to a prescriptive expression that I am supposed to do or say, um, but according to my own body's, you know, soft wisdom, right? The, mm. the, the soft animal that lives inside me that, that knows what it knows, right? And, and knows what wants to come out, but sometimes it's been scared to say it, right? Yeah. How, how can I trust that it's safe again? Or safe enough now to, to risk expressing, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's mm -hmm. it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, you brought me to the question I wanted to ask, and you you've yeah. definitely touched on this, but it's like, yeah, what are what are the ingredients in mm. in healing trauma? I, you know, we've established there's no yeah. set formula, but yeah. kind of what are some of the the raw components of of that journey? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I guess, you know, for those of you who are listening, I, I guess the first thing is like, trust yourself, right? Trust what feels good, what feels right. Trust who feels right, who you resonate with. It's a very, very specific kind of thing. I mean, you know, not everybody, res you know, not everybody's at the same thing, right? And and some people are really, at you know, like you really will match well with. And so, so what I'll say is like, listen for resonance, uh, listen for and trust your own inner song, right? What, what, the, the, who, when you're with or what, when you're with sings inside you, right? So, so listen for that. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, so, so there's, there's high level, um, I think. Um, find people who care about you, right? Uh, so the, one of my teachers had this saying, uh, love creates safety, safety makes space for change, right? So, um, you know, find people who seem to genuinely care about you because there's that, that whatever training a person has had, um, that matters, right? That that matters. Um, now, in terms of like how how to heal trauma, you know that that's a that's a tricky one. I mean, I think um, the shorthand that I would say is actually, um, you know, the prolonged exposure people were wrong, but they were onto something. Okay, so it's not prolonged exposure by which they mean like prolonged exposure to the activating thing. Um, it's actually prolonged exposure to resourcing um, in the face of titrated activation, right? So that's a little bit to unpack. I'm sure you, you get it, Jacqueline, but let's just kind of go, go through that step by step. So prolonged exposure to resourcing in the face of titrated activation. Okay, so, um, so, so the idea the general idea is uh, when we experience trauma, we get 
stuck in chronic fight or flight or freeze or fawn um, states of being. You know, the four Fs, right? Fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And, and in freeze, sometimes there's like tonic immobility, really tight freeze or collapsed immobility, you know, uh, flop and drop, like my body's just um, uh, goes numb, right? So, so, uh, so each of these uh, states uh, are symbolic of our nervous system going into overdrive, hyperactivation, or hypoactivation, which is like after hyperactivation, you know, um, hyperarousal, there's hypoarousal. They're both different levels of like going into the red zone and then going into the blue zone. <laughs> they're, they're different levels of like overwhelm. Right. So, so, so basically what we want to do is we want to help a person, um, get unstuck from their overwhelmed chronic states. You know, people start to live inside fight or flight or freeze or fawn in their world. Right. Um, people in fight mode, like those are the people who have challenges with anger frequently or very combative folks, you know, people in flight mode, frequently hyper anxious, right? You know, scared, right? Need to get away or need to be hyper vigilant against threat. People in freeze, uh, at least the collapsed immobility, very frequently that's depression, right? It's like, oh, I don't want to do anything. It's like, and those are frequently like trauma um, responses. And fawn is a, is a personality uh Kind of choice, right? Where it's a, it's a, it's an interpersonal choice um, about you know pleasing and appeasing somebody who you perceive to be a threat, right? So, um, so, so the general idea is um, these are all when our nervous system gets activated, we go into one of these states, and what we want to do is work with the person um, to help them feel safe enough so that their maladaptive trauma response, their survival style, can unwind a bit and they can, what they call, complete the arousal cycle and come back into regulation. So the idea is people get caught or stuck in fight mode and they perceive threat all around because, maybe, um, in their original traumagenic circumstance, there was somebody who, where there was a threat and, and they wanted to fight back and they tried to fight back and they couldn't, um, succeed in fighting or completing or succeeding then. Um, and it just is stuck with them. Right. And so they're constantly on the lookout for threat, uh, in the world and constantly trying to complete their incomplete arousal cycle. They're trying to win the battle that they lost, right? And so part of what we need to help support them in is get them into a safe enough place, right, with enough support and resources, where this time they can experience the titrated activation. So just a little kind of whiff of the activation, okay, the the remembrance of maybe the moment, whether, and that's a whole other thing, explicit or implicit, but where there's a, a whiff of the experience, but this time it gets to complete, 
right? This time, the um, they're able to defend themselves successfully, whereas before they were not, right? I think you you can sometimes see like the the model mugging uh, kind of uh, where if somebody's been mugged or physically assaulted, there's a um, you know uh, experience where the person gets to defend themselves or learns how to defend themselves and that can actually be very empowering and cathartic and and complete what was incomplete right it becomes a corrective reparative relational experience sometimes in a, a corrective emotional experience corrective somatic experience right they're able to take the action that they weren't able to take so finding the uh, incompleted action and completing the action right so you know sometimes if somebody's in a car accident they wanted to protect themselves they wanted to turn away but they couldn't their head gets stuck in a certain position so just letting them complete that protective thing and having that letting them have the experience of protecting themselves or letting the have people have the experience of being able to run away right to successfully flee when they before couldn't right that can be a completion of the arousal cycle so so helping people um you know, find enough safety. So being maybe an anchor for the person, helping them not drown in the trauma, but, you know, being there with them in it, helping them reconfigure the narrative, right? Rescript it if they have a uh, explicit memory of it, or um, if it's just a, a somatic experience, because sometimes memories aren't visual with content and meaning. Sometimes it's just like this sinking feeling in my gut that I get when I see a certain kind of car drive by, right? Oh, I don't understand why that is, but that that's a certain kind of memory. That needs its own completion as well, right? So creating enough safety and listening to that part of us, that kind of implicit somatic sensation and just following that where it goes. Sometimes it wants to make a sound. Sometimes it wants to kind of say stop, right? And just letting it, even if you don't understand why, right? Um, there is, at least within somatics, the sense of um, trust process, follow process, get out of the way, right? Your body has wisdom. Listen to it. All it wants is for you to to take the time and listen, and it will tell you if you're patient enough where it needs to go. So, um, you know, and and listen from a place of you know whatever, like the eight C's or the 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 the, the, the this sense of like calm, curious, compassionate, clear being, right? Where you're where you're with you in a uh, in a way that's relatively kind or loving. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. Thank you. That's a yeah. beautiful, beautiful answer. And yeah, building that self-trust of, of what's here. And let's just yeah. honor that. Let's let it move to completion. I don't need to fix it. Don't need to bypass it. There's some, there's an organic intelligence. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. And that's actually the name you probably know of Steve Hoskinson's body of work, the organic intelligence uh, mm -hmm. model. And yeah, there is an organic intelligence within us, right? That 
that that's there if we if we uh, only listen. Like, what's that saying? I think it's um, the universe is as close as the pulse in our neck, right? Mm. Yeah, it's like it's right there. Right? It's like uh, all the wisdom is is right there if we just hold it and listen to it. So, mm. yeah, I love that. I yeah. love that. Uh, well, and so your organization has a trauma certificate program. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's coming up pretty soon. Um, so we, we start August 22nd. So yeah, real, real soon. And um, yeah, super excited. Um, I, 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 I used to run a trauma certificate uh, at John F. Kennedy University and, and it was a beautiful program. Um, and I wanted to share it with more folks, uh, and so I I rallied our top faculty from that program, and then added some real I don't know like superstars, and 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 it's a beautiful program. I I, I love uh, what we've created. It's it's a three month program, uh, and um, we treat trauma from um, both the bottom up which is a, a, a shorthand for saying like listening to the body and the wisdom of the body as a guide, just like, you know, we, we were talking about. So it's the bottom up, but it's also from the inside out, right? Because sometimes they're part of tr what trauma does is it separates our bottom from our top, by, by which I mean our body becomes broken off from the rest of ourselves, right? We dissociate, we go numb. And part of healing is about opening that line of communication again um, and so we need to work bottom up listening you know you know to what our bodies have to say and we and another thing that trauma does is it splits our insides from our outsides like we become unable to express or share what's happening inside so like we get cut off inside out uh, so so Part of the training is also learning how can we creatively, authentically express what is true inside me. So there's both a somatic component to it as well as an art therapy, expressive arts therapy uh, uh, approach to it where you know, you're learning to, okay, there's something inside that I haven't been able to share or talk about, um, but maybe I can start to do that. Maybe I can start to live out loud. Maybe I can start to create and express and express in safe enough ways and true enough ways and so that what's been held inside from trauma for so long can start to emerge outside so so it's a it's a lovely program we've got um, a, a dream team of faculty uh, alongside um, uh, Sheila Rubin, uh, Brett Lyon, they, they have a, a new book coming out from Sounds True on healing shame, and they're on faculty, uh, Ruella Frank, who I adore, uh, Michael Clemens, who's magical, uh, Sue Martin, uh, deep work in somatics, um, you know, has worked at domestic violence shelters for a woman, you know, a lot of Mariasha Katz, all, uh, amazing, amazing folks, amazing folks, Kamara Rajabari, um, standout uh, um, expressive arts uh, trained um, clinician. So yeah, really, really super excited. Um, people from all over the world. It's an online program and and um, yeah, just so moved by 
what people say when when they come through. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, if anybody out there is interested, I can probably still sign up and would love to have you join. Awesome. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. and how can how can people stay in touch if they want to learn more about your work? Yeah. Uh, so so my main web website is Somatopia. Uh, so you can somatopia.com. Uh, so you're welcome to check that out. Uh, there's a bunch of free stuff there and, um, you know, different trainings that we have. And then we've also got um, uh, Instagram, Somatopia. Uh, so you can uh, visit me there and uh, YouTube. So I, I think there will probably be some links in the show notes. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm on the regular, <laughs> the regular <laughs> suspects of, of places you can find people. It's always it's always challenging for me. I, I'm I'm not a very I'm 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 as introverted as they come. But part of my role has been to become a little bit more of a public public presence in this sphere. And you know, I I, I uh. I'm doing it for you. (laughs) (laughs) Taking one for the team, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, I I do it with good intention. And yeah, so so I'm out there on on the different platforms. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, those links will be below. Yeah. Yeah. And anything you want to say, share before we head into the practice session? Oh, right. Yeah. No, it's just, it's just been really lovely, lovely to, to connect and to, to share and, you have just such a lovely, thoughtful, kind presence. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I imagine that anybody who's kind of works with you is really lucky. I can sense your intelligence and your thoughtfulness and the way you see the both the big picture, but have such a, a, a sweet kind of heartfulness as well. You know, and, and, and my sense is that you've lived the work yourself, too. So got to mm-hmm. got to respect that, you know, that 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 that. If there's anything like life trains us, right? You know, there's the training that we do, and then there's the life that we live, and yeah. So, so kudos to you for for doing the work and and to having this kind of podcast. I think it's great. Mm, thank you. That's very very sweet, and I, yeah. I appreciate that. And this has been just a wonderful conversation. I'm I'm excited for people to hear this. Yeah. yeah. Lovely. Mm. Lovely. Yeah. Well, I'm tearing up at that. So thank you. Mm. It's good tears, good tears. Um, mm. Yeah. Also, you know, optional. But is there a practice you wanna you wanna guide us in today? Sure. Um, the practice that I want to share today is called uh, resource installation. Uh, it comes from Laurel Parnell's attachment focused EMDR, um, but it's basically something that you can do um, probably when you're in a relatively quiet space, um, you know, um, and, and you have your own alone time. Um, but, but later you can adapt it to, to multiple environments. So, so the way it's structured is, uh, basically, uh, you're invited to think of, um, different figures, uh, in your life and a safe place. And we're going to do something called install them into our somatic being. It's called resource installation, and it uses a specific technique of that's characteristic of EMDR, which is bilateral stimulation. So, so first, there's there's multiple parts to it, but let's just talk about the bilateral stimulation parts. The bilateral stimulation, um, the idea behind it is uh, we're trying to um, 
get some of those stuck, fragmented aspects of neurophysiology to start to reintegrate. And so we're trying to stimulate both sides of uh, both hemispheres of the brain. And some of the classic bilateral stimulation choices are something called the butterfly hug. Okay, so the butterfly hug is um, holding your arms uh, across your chest, so crossing your arms on, uh, in front of your chest, uh, where one hand is approximately touching one shoulder and the other hand is on the other shoulder. And the way the butterfly hug works is we just tap left, right with each um, hand, like in a kind of a one, two, left, right, left, right, left, right pace. Okay, so that's a classic butterfly hug option. Uh, and that's one version of butter, uh, bilateral stimulation. We'll use that in a moment. Um, the other options that you, you, you might have, especially if you're at a, at a work environment or a place where you can't be as visible with a butterfly hug, is to tap left, right uh, with your hands. I'm exaggerating it for those of you who can see me visually. Uh, what I'm doing is um, I am patting my legs left and right with my left hand and then my right hand. Um, so, and you can do it in a large way uh, or a, a, a small way where you're just like using your placing your hands basically on your legs and then tapping uh, your legs left and right. And that's another version of bilateral stimulation. Okay. Um, the last classic version of bilateral stimulation, if you know, you need to be on the DL is just tapping your toes left and right. So left toe, like typically heels on the ground, and then left toe, right toe, left toe, right toe, left toe, right toe, just tapping so you can feel uh, the ground underneath you. Okay, so that's the bilateral stimulation part. So, um, so multi-part exercise, but um, so, so that is um, thought to help, I don't know, like, um, create that communicative channel across the corpus callosum and, and help whatever might be stuck, fragmented in one hemisphere to cross over to the other. Okay. Now, uh, the, the other piece of this is uh, thinking of a protective figure, um, a nurturing figure, uh, a wise figure, and a safe place. Right. Um, and so, uh, Will, I'll, in a moment, I'm going to invite you, uh, the the listener or the viewer, to think of somebody who is a protective figure for you, um, somebody who's a nurturing figure for you, somebody who's a wise figure for you, and and a safe place. And after we kind of get a hold of each of these, we're going to do what we call install these resources into our body right through this basically a bilateral stimulation tapping practice right so we don't just see visualize them we somatically experience them like almost like we're tapping them into ourselves with our full sensation okay so so that's the crux of the the exercise uh, i'll talk you through it i know that was a big lead up and maybe 
that's the instructional explanation. Um, and maybe you'll listen to this part of the practice and just have that steady. And then there'll be the guided part where um, you can listen to, you know, this part and skip to, or maybe skip to this part when it, when, when, whenever you want to just do the practice. Okay. All right. So with all that preparatory, um, uh, we'll go ahead and um, um, begin. All right. So, so first, just let yourself um, settle into a place of, of relative comfort. If you're sitting, um, just feel uh, the chair underneath you or the ground underneath you. Some people prefer to do this lying down. Uh, whatever feels good for you. Uh, if you want, your eyes can be open. If you prefer, they can be closed. Uh, and I'm going to guide you through the practice called resource installation. Okay. So um, in this first part of this practice, I'm going to invite you to think of somebody. They could be real or imaginary, living or not, not here anymore. Uh, but just imagine somebody who has been a protective figure for you in your life. Right? This is somebody who might defend you, might stand up for you, around whom you feel safe, uh, who you could go to for support. Right? So who might that be? So think of somebody in your life, perhaps real or imaginary, who represents protectiveness, support, safety for you. For some people, this can be its own challenging aspect, especially if we haven't felt protected in our lives. So in that case, sometimes I just imagine uh, that you might think about you, right, as a, as an ally of yourself, or maybe uh, a version of you uh, that is strong or protective or kind, right? So just, you could even borrow me if you like. Um, I would be very happy to, to stand in and stand by you if I could, right? So, so just think of a protective figure that you might have in your life. And we're going to do something called bilateral stimulation. So that's um, kind of uh, a butterfly hug or tapping your legs or tapping your toes in just a moment. But, but first I want you to just visualize that person. Just see them in your mind's eye. Okay, What do they look like? What do they sound like? What is their voice? Right. Where are they in the space with you, in front of you, to the side? And see if you can use all of your sensory experiences. Maybe there's even a certain smell, or maybe there's a flavor of being with them that you're, you can just even almost taste. Right? So what is it like to see them, hear them, feel them, feel their presence with you? Okay. And once you get a sense of that, 
I'm going to invite you to to do one of these things that we've mentioned. You get to choose a butterfly hug, um, leg tapping or toe tapping, and just install their presence into your being, anchoring what it feels like to be with them inside you. So we'll just tap left, right, left, right, in a cadence, in a steady cadence, with each tap, just feeling, feeling them with you, almost more and more embedded into your felt experience, into your body. And just seeing, seeing them and then feeling them and then sensing them, almost getting tapped into you, right? Sometimes this is called resource tapping. You're letting their protective presence land inside you, land inside you. Okay. Yeah, and you typically do that for maybe 20 seconds or so, right? And then when you feel that kind of taking hold, uh, I'm going to invite you to, to let that go for a moment and now install or imagine, we're going to imagine a nurturing figure. This is somebody who you could go to for, for love, emotional care, uh, whenever you might have had some emotional challenge, they would be there to, to nurture you, support you, love you, give you emotional care, help you feel loved, right? So who might you imagine? It could be a real person. It could be an imaginary person. It could be you, your own highest self. Right? Sometimes it could be a spiritual presence, right? a dear friend. So who represents care, love, nurturance for you? Somebody who helps you feel loved. Yeah. And as you settle on a person, go ahead and let yourself imagine them, visualize them. What do they look like? What do they sound like? What are they wearing? How does it feel to be with them? Right. And, and where are you? Right. Where are they in relation to you? Are they in front of you, to your left or right? Are you are they sitting next to you? Are they behind you? Right. And just sense their presence and being if you can. And and as you sense them. 
Let's go ahead and next do the resource installation. So this is installing their presence and being, right? So just choosing your mode of bilateral stimulation, just letting yourself tap left and right, and with each tap almost allowing their love, their nurturance, being felt more deeply penetrating into your body and your being. Can you let yourself feel their love, their support, their care, their nurturance land inside you? Just with each tap, just imagining that this support, this resource is getting embedded deeper and deeper inside you. Yeah. Yeah, and just letting yourself drink that in with each breath, anchoring that presence and that being more and more. Okay. And then slowly letting that go, right? Knowing that you can come back to it anytime you want. Right. And next we're going to uh, invite a wise figure. This might be somebody who you might view as a mentor, a guide, who has wisdom, insight, intelligence, who can cut through things that are confusing, who can see things clearly, um, and can give you that perspective, that insight, that depth of knowing, and that wisdom. And so, who in your life could be real, it could be imaginary, represents a wise figure for you? So just choose somebody to come forward, something, maybe someone or something, some, to, to represent wisdom, a wise figure for you, and, and just take a moment to notice that figure. What do they look like? What do they sound like? What's the quality of their voice? What are they wearing? Where are they in relation to you, in front of you, to your left or right? Are they standing or sitting? And what does it feel like just to be with them, knowing that they see things clearly, that they have insight? They have wisdom, they understand, right? And as you see them, hear them, feel their presence, let's go ahead and allow yourself to do your bilateral stimulation again. So go ahead and choose your bilateral stimulation uh, method of choice, butterfly hug, tapping your legs or tapping your toes, and just let yourself tap left and right, left and right, just letting yourself, with each tap, let their presence and being land deeper and deeper into you, allowing their wisdom to interpenetrate into your being, flowing into you, feeling it with each tap. 
more and more, just letting their wisdom pour into you. And then just allowing that to slowly uh, fade. And last but not least, we're going to imagine a safe place. So what is a safe place for you? A place where you have maybe felt at peace in the world, uh, protected, loved, uh, clear, a place of refuge where you don't need to do anything. You can just be exactly as you are. For some people, this is in nature. For some people, maybe a particular room in their house, maybe a particular couch, maybe, maybe a particular place where you visited sometimes. So where is a safe place for you? And again, just, it can be real, it can be imaginary, but just see it. What are the colors, what are the shapes, what are the sounds that you hear? Maybe, what do you feel as you're in this place? And as you sense yourself in this safe place, go ahead and one last time, we're going to do the bilateral stimulation, just letting yourself tap left and right, um, whether with the butterfly hug, tapping on your knees or tapping your toes. Right? And with each tap, just allowing your presence and being to be uh, permeated by the safe place that you've been imagining. Just letting the sounds enter you, the sights enter you, almost letting them land inside your felt experience, anchoring the visual and the sounds into your felt experience of the body, just tapping this resource of the safe place into you. And then slowly just allowing yourself to let that go, knowing that you can return to any of these places, um, the safe place, the presence of the wise figure, uh, the protective figure or the nurturing figure, anytime you want. And sometimes doing the physical action of the bilateral stimulation can be a valuable anchor to re-evoke this feeling that might be arising in you right now of relative safety, of being protected, of being nurtured, and being graced with wisdom. Thank you so much for your practice. Blessings and be well.
right, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed what you just heard, found it valuable, and want to keep exploring with me, please click follow. To help others learn about this, make sure to give me a five-star rating, write a review, and share it with all your people. To learn more about my work, go to JacquelineExplains.com and sign up for my email list so that you can receive life-changing somatic practices in your inbox. See you next week.